0: A couple of years ago, gosh, I say a couple of years ago, it's been a long time now, went to Cripple Creek, Colorado. It's this little town up in, up in the mountains of Colorado. A little trivia fact, it was at one time, I believe it was, or it was going to be, the capital of Colorado before Denver took over because back in its heyday, it was a gold mining town and there was a ton of people that lived there. And so when we were there, we were doing a mission trip, but we had a down day. And we went to the Molly Kathleen mine. There's still a gold mine there, but the Molly Kathleen mine is kind of off to the side and you're allowed to go down in it, kind of an interspace cavern experience. And so I, you can't really see this probably well because it's smaller, but I put some pictures from their website up, you know, the Molly Kathleen mine since 1891. But they have this little section on there in a couple places that says free gold. It says visitors receive a free gold ore specimen from the Molly Kathleen mine containing real gold. I thought this is... <laughs> It's going to be a freaking awesome trip because I'm going to go see a mine and I'm going to walk out rich with some gold. And so we go and we're going to go down the tour. When you get into the place, they've got this steel elevator. It's like a cage elevator, uh, not like with, with the doors that open. You can't see like it's, it's a, a cage that's just going to drop you down and you're going to see the rocks on either side as it takes you 1,000 feet below the surface, a 10-story building all the way down. And we're there, and we're about to get into that, and we meet our tour guide. He's this big old miner guy. He looks like Santa Claus, big white beard, and, and he's like 300 pounds. And he gets in this little elevator, and I'm not lying. Like, the elevator, it, it was smaller than this area here. I mean, it was about half of this size. And this guy goes, and he gets in the corner. He's like a third of it, he's, and he's like, come on in. There's like 10 of us. And I'm like, I did not want to be that close to this guy. You know, but we, all, we all stuff in, and we go down the elevator, and it's kind of like an inner space cavern tour, if you've been on that before. But they have all kinds of machinery down there of how they used to mine the gold. And it is a pretty cool tour. And as you're walking through the mine, a- along the rock, there's these purple streaks all through, all through where you're walking. And what they point out to you is they say those purple streaks, that is actually the gold, which is weird because I've never seen purple gold. But I'm taking their word for it. And they go, that's what we mine out of it. And so it's all around you, but obviously it takes a lot to make it. And so when you leave, you get your free gold piece. I still have mine. I'm going to pass it around. You, you can try to steal it, but you're not going to get anything out of it. But you can see it. I'll pass it around. We'll try. I don't know if it'll get everywhere, but it, it's a rock with purple in it. It looks like somebody colored on it. And that's the, the free gold. I, didn't, I thought I, thought like I was going to be rich. Um, this is only like valuable for throwing across a lake. That's about it. like to watch it skip. I, I'll pass it around. But that's, that's going around. What that is, is gold. But it's not what you or I would have thought when we talked about gold. The fact is it's gold, but we're not talking about facts. We're talking about a different issue. We're talking about purity. Because if I said I was going to hand you a gold nugget, you would go, man, that's worth a lot. If that was pure gold, I wouldn't have passed it around because one of you jokers would have snuck out the back with it. You know? it the purity of something gives value to it. And as we get into this further into the series, Love Better, you know, we know if you go to church here, you've heard us say this a lot. Our, our calling of God for, for this church is to love God and to love people. That's, that's all we're trying to do. But in this series, we're trying to talk about, we're talking more about our friends, our close friends. We're talking about our family. We're talking about relationships that are a little more intimate, maybe a girlfriend or a boyfriend, a future spouse. And we've been trying to figure out how do we love those people better. And so it's been a real practical time as we've looked through the book of Ruth and we've read her love story and we've, we've pulled out pieces of the story that have taught us how to love better. We've been able to go out and hopefully put some things in practice. We learned several weeks ago that love is is measured by loyalty. How much you love somebody shows and how loyal you are to them. And then the following week, we talked that that love is expressed through service. Me meeting someone else's needs shows them love. And I say, hey, I'm going to take my needs and put them down here and I'm going to lift your needs up. That's how I express love. Last week, he said love is rooted in kindness. It's got to come from an attitude or a heart that that is kind hearted. And so tonight we're going to move into Ruth chapter three. If you've been reading along in the book of Ruth, you, you know it's coming. It's kind of it's crazy, but we're going to learn this. We're going to love that love is magnified by purity, real love. And if we're going to love people better, and, and probably tonight our, our application is going to be boyfriends, girlfriends, it's going to be future spouse, it's going to be your husband or your wife. I mean, it is true what we're going to talk about for friendships and family, but you're going to find real application when it comes to dating, when it comes to, like I said, a future marriage, that, that love is magnified. It has greater value the purer that it is. Now, that's just not Bible talk. That's real. Let me give you some examples. You know some people, some of you guys, your families may be this way. You have families that have chosen to live in a gated community, you bought a house inside a community that, that is gated, that you have to, you have to put in a code you 've got to call somebody to get in i 've been out to visit people 's houses and i 'm like i can 't get in they don 't answer the phone, I have to turn around and go back because there 's no way in. and, and what 's happened is we 've put a value on purity and it 's a purity of, of crime really we 've gone, you know what I want I want one hundred percent safety, and so i 'm going to pay. For a more expensive house, I'm going to pay more money to have 100% safety or as close as I can get to 100%, as close as I can get to purity. So we go and live behind gated community. We put a value on that. We say that is worth more. You buy bottled water, right? I mean, you don't even know where that water comes from. It's just in a bottle and it's supposedly more pure And if I said, hey, here's a water hose, here's bottled water. You go, hey, I'd rather the bottled water. We put water filters in our house because we want our water to be what? Pure. And so we'll pay more for it because we see more value in pure water than other water. People will go down to Austin. They'll drive past the HEB. They'll drive past Walmart. They'll drive past Target. They'll go through Round Rock. They'll go all the way to Austin to a little store called Whole Foods where they can get their food that's organic. You know what organic means? Pure. It doesn't have all the chemicals in it. It doesn't have all the additives. And people go, man, I will drive. And if you've ever been to Whole Foods, it costs a lot more because we see value in purity. I had a shirt the other day, put on, pulled it out, got it on. And it was, like a, it was like a dark brown shirt, or, I mean, light brown shirt. And somewhere along the line, I don't know what it was, I had spilt something on it. I had apparently done a pretty good job of getting it off, and it went through the wash. But there was this little bit—I mean, I mean, it was, I mean that, about that big. It was a little bit. It wasn't even a stain. It just my my light brown shirt was a little bit darker right there from how it, whatever it had been had soaked into the shirt. That much. You know what I did with the shirt? Took it off and threw it away. Because I wasn't going to walk around one like percent less than one percent of my shirt. But I walked. I, I knew, man. I don't want to wear this because somebody's going to go, "Hey, you got something." My shirt wasn't 100% pure. It had a stain on it. I found little value in it. I threw it away. Same thing with your relationships with friends. In friendship, we call purity integrity. We'd call purity somebody that is, is truthful. If, if I said, hey, your best friend, everything that you, you know, tell them and you guys talk about, they're going to be pretty truthful. But about 5% of the time, they're going to just outright lie to you. You, you probably wouldn't value that friendship as much you're looking for a friend who's going to tell you the truth you're going to look for a friend who has integrity that's another synonym for purity it makes sense in our relationships it comes to weddings i can't tell you how many weddings i've done i mean people i know people i don't know i've done a ton of weddings and if you one day get older and you say, hey, Brett, would you come do my wedding? What I'm going to do is I'm going to email you. Uh, it's like a, a two-page piece of paper, maybe about three pages. And it's kind of got the skeleton of a wedding. It's got like the vows. It's got the I do's. It's got all the stuff. And I'm going to give it to the bride because when it comes for time for a wedding, the husband's like, no, I don't know. You know it's, I'm going to give it to the bride. I'm going to go, hey, here's, here's a, basically a skeleton. This is going to last you about 12 minutes, but you can put flesh on it. If you want to change things, you can change things up. If you want to write your own vows, you can write your own vows. If you want to say, I will, instead of I do, you can put that in there. If you want me to change this or tweak what I say here, I'm going to give it to you to let you start with it, and you hand it back to me. I had a couple a couple years ago that, that we did this process. I gave them the, the sheet of paper. I didn't know them that well. Um, it was people that had just come up and said, hey, a friend of a friend said, hey, can you do their wedding? And I, had the, I gave it to them, and they, they gave me back this intro like, to, like, like you'd seat everybody at the very beginning. And, and the intro, for me, it talks a little bit about um, when God put man and woman together, and it talks about Jesus, and it talks about what, what the Bible says about marriage. And they said, hey, we want to change all of that. And I said, okay, well, let me see what you got. And so they found something on the Internet, and it was, I mean, it was like goofy. It was kind of new agey, and so like I'm reading, it was like, you know, before the dawn of time man and his partner stood side by side looking at the spirit winds. And and I'm like reading it all. like, no, this is like weird. And so I kind of tweaked it so it didn't sound like, you know, that I was going to go to hell if I said, you know, read this stuff. And and so I tweaked it, made it, it wasn't as biblical as my normal one has, but it wasn't as like, you know, goofy new age as they had. And so we got back together and I told them, I said, hey, that was a little bit out of my comfort zone. But um, I, I reworked it, tell me what you think. And they said, hey, that's great. That'll work. I said, okay, I can do that. They can do that. The day of the wedding comes. They're going to get married Sunday at 2 o'clock out in a park in Georgetown. We're supposed to meet to go through like the practice. They weren't even having a rehearsal the night before. They said, we'll just meet at the church and kind of walk through. And I said, okay. They never show up. I'm like waiting for them. I mean, they're getting married in like two hours and we're supposed to meet the two hours before. They never show up. I call them like, oh, yeah, well, we're just going to meet you out there. And I'm like, okay, okay because this is a special wedding, you can tell already. And, and they go, hey, and we talked about it, and we don't want you to do the, your, renewed, your different version of the intro. We want you to do the intro just like we gave it to you. And I went, ah, I can't do that. I said, I'm sorry, I man, we talked about it. We, I mean, we, a couple weeks ago, we agreed on this, but I'm not going to stand up and say these things. And they're like, well, that's what we want. And I said, I'm sorry. So I told them this. I said, well, here, I'll make a compromise with you. I will say, you know, when I get up there, I'll say, hey, the, the Brian Green wanted me to read this. They found it on the internet at goofypeople.com. And, you know, here, let me, and he was like, no, we just want you to say it. And I was like, well, I'm telling you, I can't do it. Two hours before the wedding, he goes, then don't come. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I'm kind of crucial to this whole, like, I got to sign the thing. And so they ended up finding the justice of the peace last minute and they did it. I mean, that, that's how important changing some of those things are to some people. But in all the weddings that I've done, they've changed things, they've added things. You know what? They've never changed. I've never had one bride change it. I'll read it to you. No bride has changed it. No groom has changed it. They've stood across from each other and they've said these words. I wrote it down. Do you promise to forsake all other men, wife to the, I mean, me to the groom or me to the wife and she says it? I do. Do you promise to forsake all other men and commit to stay faithful to him for as long as you both shall live? Every bride and every groom have left that in their wedding. You know why? Because that's a picture of purity. And we know that that purity magnifies love. It raises its value. And, and if we see value in pure water and, and organic foods and, and 100% crime-free houses and, and clothes with no stains and friendships that have it, if we see value in all that, why in the world would we not look at the most intimate thing we have to give a person we love our sexuality? How in the world would we look at that and not see that it's more valuable the purer that it is? And I'll tell you why. It's not even your fault if, you, if, you, if you've wrestled through that. Because almost every song and every TV show and every movie you watch and the conversations you have amongst your friends says the exact opposite. Actually, that, that actually they actually say, you know what, if you really love someone, then you'll have sex with them. They'll say, if you really love someone, then you know what, sex isn't that big. It's not about magnifying, purity, It's just give it away and just do it and experience it because that's how you show love. But the Word of God teaches us something different. It teaches about real love, loving better, and says, you know what, there's value in things that are pure. And one day you're going to have the opportunity to look at the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with in, in, in marriage. And you have the opportunity to look at them and say, you know what, there's something that I have that no one else has ever had. I valued it so much that in this great act of love, I want to lay it down and give it to you. It's my sexuality. Because there's value in purity. But you hear a different story and you know what? It's nothing new. 3,000 years ago, there were other messages about sex as well. And in Ruth chapter 3, I'm not, not going to have time to go back and catch up Ruth 1 and 2. If you're joining us for the first time, go back and read that. Find a Bible and, and find Ruth. But I want you to read with me Ruth chapter 3. I will give you this. Ruth, you guys that were here the last couple of weeks, remember, she's met Boaz, right? And Boaz has, has helped her out. He's taken this, this widow along. Now, I do need to give you this. Ruth is living with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and they don't have a lot. She's been working in the fields, and Boaz has been helping her. And look in Ruth chapter 3. This is going to get a little bit of PG-13. You ready? Verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? She's saying, Ruth, there's got to be better ways than you going out into the fields and work all day. She says, is not Boaz, our relative, a distant relative, kind of connected. not like her uncle or anything like that. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. Now, scholars get into this, because this, this, all this, if you're reading this like I'm reading it, you're going, whoa, this doesn't really sound like the Bible that I, I'm used to reading. This this sounds a little bit, like I said, kind of headed towards the rated R version. And so there's been some scholars who have have taken this passage and they've tried to rationalize the way. And sometimes they do that with Scripture that scares us. For example, if you grew up in a, in a really not in today's age much, but when I was growing up, if you were up in a Baptist church, Alcohol was evil. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that you're not 21, so you can't drink. And when you do, the Bible teaches that you shouldn't be drunk. But the Bible doesn't say that alcohol is bad. But I grew up in a culture of the church going, the alcohol is bad. And so you'd read passages of Scripture where Paul told Timothy, Timothy, you need to have a little bit of wine. And you would go, well, if alcohol is bad, why did this happen? And why did Jesus turn water to wine? And these scholars come through and they'll go, well, you know, they start rationalizing Scripture and they start going, well, you know, the, the wine in Jesus' day, It was watered down. It wasn't the same thing as that. You wouldn't really get drunk on it. And if you go back and read the story of Jesus turning water to wine, Jesus turned the water into some good wine, according to the people that were there. That's what the scripture says. I mean, they had the same wine, maybe stronger than we have today. But we get uncomfortable sometimes with these passages, and people get uncomfortable with this because here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like. It looks like Naomi said, Ruth, listen, you're working hard all day long. I got a better idea. Go take a shower put on some pretty clothes, maybe some high heel sandals. I don't know what they wore in those days. I'm guessing sandals and maybe high heels. And I want you to go, and, and, when, and hey, Boaz is partying tonight. And when Boaz kind of cashes in for the night and he's, he's going to bed, watch where he goes. And when he goes in, this is what she says. She says, go into his room, lie down next to him, and do whatever he says. Now, scholars who are uncomfortable with this, they go, well, there was this custom, because it does say that she said to lie, uncover his feet and lie down at his feet, which is odd. Um, and scholars said, well, there's this Jew, there was a Jewish custom that if you wanted somebody to ransom you or to buy back the, be the kinsman redeemer, we'll talk about that next week, that's coming in Ruth 4, that, that if you want, that's what you did. The problem is, there, we don't know I, know, I don't know any other scholars that have seen that. You know what I think is happening? I think Nehemiah said, Ruth, here's how you do things. He's going to be naked, you go get naked, see what happens, and everything's going to work out. That's pretty much the worst advice anyone can give you, okay? Listen, if you have a friend or a mother-in-law, for God's sakes, a family member that says, hey, go into his hotel room when he's asleep, get under the covers and do whatever he says, that is not a friend. That's not somebody that's giving you good advice. But that's what's happening here. And, and so it makes these scholars uncomfortable, but, but that, I mean, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. Like I said, it's, some of us are like, Ooh, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. My parents are gonna ask me what we talked about tonight and I don't know if I should tell them. Okay, here, here's verse six. So he went down to, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, so it's the middle of the night. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Just another piece of advice. If you need help from somebody, you need a hand up, you need a loan, you need some help with algebra, you need, do not go into someone's house in the middle of the night and pull their blankets up and curl up next to their feet. You'll get shot. It won't help you with what you need help with. And so that's what she does. She goes and pulls the covers back, cuddles up next to his feet and he's like, whoa, who, who in the world's in my tent? And she's like, it's me, Ruth. And he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, and she tells him, I need your help. And so it's moving like we're like, okay, some of you right now, you don't even want to read what's next because you're like, I, I, can't, I can't tell my parents about this. Here's what happens though. It goes from rated R to, to, to PG pretty quick. Look at verse 10. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. There's a family member that's closer to your line than I am. He says, Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay down at his feet. I covered up my stuff until the morning but arose before, no one, before one could recognize her. And he said, let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. This is not an avocation of like people shacking up. What we find out here is nothing happened. Now he doesn't send her out because sending her out in the middle of the night could have put her life at risk. But he says, stay here. But he says, you're a worthy woman. And tomorrow I'm gonna make it right. And this is what we're gonna find out next week. He says, you know what? I'm going to buy the right to marry you. Because this love story got really gray, gray area for a minute. It got really dicey. But Boaz knew and Ruth knew, and we see even her conversation, that real love is magnified by purity. She could have gotten a lot. But she would have not walked out of that room that night with Boaz calling her a worthy woman. And their relationship became solidified because they chose purity. Now, like I said, you live in a world where that's tough. And I want to give you three things. Some things that you can do, some things that you need to process through tonight before we go. And I'm gonna to have to go fast because I'm running low on time, but this is important stuff. Here's the first thing I want you to know. Purity begins today. Some of you came in here tonight, and guys, I'm not naive. I was a teenager once. I've been in youth ministry for 20 years. There's a large number of people in this room, probably more this way and that way with our high schoolers, but not just that way. There's a large number of you that have already made decisions sexually that don't line up with the Word of God. Now, here's what I want you to know. You're feeling possibly inside you some pretty chaotic emotional feelings right now. And it's one of two things. It's one of two things. One, it could be shame, but it also could be conviction. Now, both of those things oftentimes for us feel the same, but they're very different. Here's the difference. that They come from different places and they end up at different places. The feelings can be misinterpreted so we understand what they are. And sometimes we need to pray to figure out what that is. But here's that. If you're feeling shame, shame comes from a different place of conviction. Shame comes from the devil. It's the devil who wants to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. That's what John, Jesus said, recorded in the book of John. And what the devil will do, the devil, as I'm talking to you tonight, and you're reflecting back on decisions you made with a boyfriend or a girlfriend some time ago, and the devil's whispering in your ear, you're having these emotions, and the devil's going, you know what? You're a piece of trash. You, you, you just heard the guy, you heard the, the preacher guy say that purity magnifies love. You'll never feel, you'll never experience real love. And the devil's going, You're worthless. You blew it and there's no turning back. That shame, it comes from the devil and it ends with you wallowing in shame and being stolen from, killed, and destroyed. But sometimes that feeling, if we we, we really tune in close, it's not shame. It may not be that. It may be conviction. And conviction doesn't come from the devil. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Conviction comes from God. And what God is saying is, you know what? Somewhat the same thing. He's going, yeah, you, you missed it. You blew it. I call that sin. That's what the Holy Spirit says. You did something that wasn't in my plan for you. That's what the Holy Spirit says. And and so there's that feeling of, man, I'm butting up against, my sin in my life is butting up against the holiness of God because the Holy Spirit's moving my life and I feel it and and it doesn't really connect. But conviction might feel that way, but conviction doesn't end in you being worthless and, and, and used and abused. Conviction ends in your life being reconciled back with Jesus and forgiveness setting in. That's the Holy S- God isn't looking to go, hey, I want to condemn you. God isn't going, man, you're such a bad person. I can't believe you blew it. Your marriage one day is going to suck. That's not the Spirit of God. That's the devil. The Spirit of God is going, you know what? You blew it, but I want to fix it. You made a decision that went, went off track, but I want to put you back on track and I want to restore it because one day I want you to have a marriage. I want you to have a relationship that's incredible. And I want you to know that love is magnified by purity. And I want you to experience that. But it begins today. If you made a decision a long time ago, if you made a decision earlier today, that ended in impurity, know that forgiveness is is for you today, that Jesus is in your corner. And he wants you to experience forgiveness. So your purity begins today. But it doesn't just begin today. You have to understand that it begins today, every day. And what I mean by that is this. When I was first starting youth ministry 20 years ago, there was this movement called True Love Waits. And it was this idea we wanted to get teenagers to sign a commitment that said, you know what, I'm going to wait until marriage. And and we had these big rallies. We had these big ceremonies. And kids signed it and their parents were there. And a lot of parents went out and they bought rings and they gave kids purity rings. Some of y'all have a purity ring. It came out of this True Love Waits thing about 20 years ago. And man, it was a national movement. True Love Waits had its own newspaper. They had their own music albums. Christian artists were putting True Love Waits albums together. It had its own 1-800 number. People could call for help or counseling. The True Love Waits movement at this point today has been in over 800 different media outlets that have covered a story about it. When it was in its heyday, they went True Love Waits to the nation And they had these little cards that students had signed saying, I'm going to commit to purity until I get married. They had 210,000 cards, a quarter of a million cards. And they lined them up in in Washington, D.C. between the Capitol and the Washington Monument in the mall. 210,000 cards and they had a rally. And 25,000 teenagers showed up to say, we're going to be pure until marriage. The next year they went to the Georgia Dome called the True Love Waits Through the Roof, they had 340,000 cards and they stacked them from the floor of the Georgia Dome through the dome roof. That many teenagers saying, I want to be pure. Do you know what the statistics tell us? When you take a couple, a husband and wife or a boyfriend and girlfriend who aren't believers, they're not following Jesus, they're just regular people, and you look at the percentages of them that had sex before marriage and the ones that waited, and you compare them to teenagers that signed the card... There's an 8% difference. 8%. Because we understood purity begins today and people may not want to be pure, but they forgot to say it tomorrow because temptation's coming. You can sign the card tonight. We don't really have cards. You can make the decision tonight. It's really easy. You don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, but when he or she rolls around, it's going to get real hard. And every day you have to get up and say, purity begins today. Because, because I want to love better. Because I want, I want to have a relationship one day with my husband and wife that's better. Here's the second thing you need to do. And you can all do this. You need to filter your media. Yeah, filter what you're watching. I mean, we're not like super like legalistic in my home or anything like that. We, we, we let my kids, my kids get to watch whatever the television show says they're able to. And I'm not even sure that's good. Like, but if, it, if it's, my kids aren't gonna see PG-13 movies till they're 13. And so there's Disney channels and it says like seven and up. We didn't let Rayleigh watch any of those shows until she was seven. Because I figured this, if the world who isn't following Jesus says six-year-olds don't need to watch it, my family doesn't need to be watching. I'm not even sure that my seven-year-old needs to see what the world says seven-year-olds should see. But we've kind of said, okay, if it, we'll at least draw the line there. And I'm in my room the other day, she's watching some show on Disney, I don't even know what it is, Good Luck, Tom's Charlie, Good Luck, Charlie, <laughs> and, or something like that. And I'm, I'm, in, my, I'm in my bathroom, and like at my sink, and I hear these... these characters on the show and one of was like talking about how she's making out with her ex-boyfriend and I like I'm blowing out of my bathroom I'm like what in the world are we watching you know my my seven-year-old doesn't need to have in her mind that, that making out with your ex-boyfriend is normal you know why because those are teenagers in the show and she gets to be around y'all a lot, and guess who she wants to be like you guys and she goes, well, teenagers make out with their ex-boyfriends. That's going to be like the people I want to be like. So we need to come to those. Let me turn that off. Now, here's what I'm telling you. I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't watch. I'm not your moral police. I'm not your mom and dad. But you've got to filter your media. And there's two ways you need to do that, A and B, if you're taking notes. Here's a You need to think through what you're watching, what you're listening to. When you listen to a song, you see a movie, you need to think through. And, and you hear these messages about love. You hear these messages about sex. You need to ask, ask yourself as you're watching it, is this true? Is what they're selling me real life? Is this how it really works? And the other question you need to ask is this. Does this love relationship that I'm seeing or hearing about, does this match the character of God? Because remember, we talked about this a while ago. The Bible says that God is love. Love looks like Jesus. Would Jesus act in this way in whatever you're watching? Would Jesus take these lyrics and run with them? You've got to filter your media. And you guys, you are some of the smartest teenagers I know. You can figure it out. But you need to start filtering it, not just kind of go along because everybody goes along. And you know what? Here's, this, here's part B. The second thing into that, some some you just need to filter your media. Not th- you just need to put some, some limits on it. There's some movies out there that are geared towards teenagers that you watch from the previews. And you know from the previews, it's going to be all about sex. You know, there's, you know it's going to be filled with nudity. You don't need to go and, and watch it and go, is this true? Would Jesus call this? You know. You need to filter that from the front end. Several years ago when I was in Austin, we had showtime for free in our house. It came with like our cable or whatever we had. And, and if you have showtime, you know what happens like Saturday night, like 11 o'clock, it's like softcore porn night hits Showtime. I mean, it's all kinds of inappropriate movies. You can tell them by the titles. They're, not, they're all not rated because nobody that rates movies wants to watch them. So, so in my house, I'm married. Sex is it's an okay thing. God made it for husbands and wives. But we had a filter put on our TV filtering that media. So anything that came not rated... If it came on, my screen went blue. I couldn't watch it. And Amanda put in a code. I wouldn't know what it was because I didn't want the temptation because I needed to filter my media. And you know what? One night, I told the story before. One night, she's in bed. She's been in bed for like two hours. And I'm watching. This was back before mixed martial arts was big. I was watching boxing. And I've been watching this boxing match for two hours waiting to get to the main event. They have all these undercards. They get to the main event. And the main event's like three or four rounds in. It's a great fight. And it comes like 11 o'clock. And my screen goes blue in the middle of the fight. I've been watching this thing for like two hours. And I'm like, what's going on? I hit guide. My guide says that there's some kind of not rated show on that I don't need to be watching. And the TV doesn't know that that boxing went long. And so it like blocks it out. I missed it. And I'm telling you that so that you know this. If you're going to filter your media, you're going to go home and say, mom, dad, put some limits on the computer, put some filters on there, put some things on there, protect me. So I don't go to things I don't need to see. Mom, dad, say no to some movies for me. You need to know it's going to inconvenience you. It's going to inconvenience you. It ain't going to be easy. It's going to inconvenience you, but you've got to filter your media. Here's the last thing. Oh my gosh, I'm running out of time. The third thing I'm going to tell you, and you're going to hate me for this, and half of you are going to disagree don't date. I say it all the time. And every time, teenagers walk out and they go, man, that's OK. I filter your media. OK, I get, yeah, choose period of day. But you know, when you say don't date, you're just old. You're stupid. Um, there's no way. And you'd go, hey, did you date in high school? And I would be honest with you, and I'd go, yes, I did. And I'd be honest with you and say, I wish I hadn't. And you know what's interesting? The vast majority of this room disagrees with point number three, don't date. But you know what is so interesting to me? I could could hang out with college students that grew up here and heard don't date, and they left for college, and they've come back, and they're juniors in college. You know what they come and say to me on a regular basis? Dating in high school was stupid. I wish I never had. And let me, let me just break this down. If dating in high school is stupid, junior hires, I don't, I don't even how you need to say it. I don't even need to say it. You, I had one boy, gosh, I'm going to out of time. We're going long tonight. I had one little junior high boy one time. We're going to a junior high mission trip. And I'm in the front seat of my van and I'm driving to the valley and he's on his phone behind me and he's talking to his girlfriend. And he's like, I'm not making this up. True. He's like, I love you. Oh, I love you too. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. I love you. Okay, and then he does the joke, but he's serious. I'm not making this up. He does the, okay, you hang up. No, no, you hang up. <laughs> serious. I know people joke about it. And he's like, well, okay, I'll say I love you, then I hang, then, then you hang up. Okay, I, okay, I love you. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm I love you. Okay, let's <laughs> say, count of three. Okay, one, two, three, I love you. Uh, okay, okay, I'm gonna hang up now, but remember, I, finally, and I'm in the front seat. I'm like, li- I'm cracking up. Gets off the phone. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm, gonna, I'm like, so who was that? And he was like, that's my girlfriend. And I go, do I know her? And he goes, no, you don't know her. And I go, well, what's her name? And he goes, Abby. And I go, Abby who? What's her last name? I might know her. And he goes, no, I don't know. <laughs> Stop dating, okay? For real. It's ridiculous. But here's why. Here's why. Because and I say it all the time. You know, you're not dumb. The difference between dating and your best friend that's of the opposite sex is the physical Some of you have the opposite sex that are are best friends, and the only thing, and you have intimate relationship, you talk deeply, you you pray together, you have have a great relationship. The only thing different between that and your boyfriend or girlfriend is the physical, and I can't hammer this drum enough tonight. I'm just going to tell you, once you start the physical, you can't stop it. Once you start holding hands, you're going to start hugging. You're going to start kissing. You're going to start making out. It's going to keep going down the line and purity will be left behind in the dust. I'm not saying don't date because I think you can't, you know, you're not. Okay. Yeah. I'll be honest. I don't think you're mature enough. (laughs) I don't think you have the, I don't think you have the wherewithal to say, you know what? We can date, but we're not going to start the physical because we won't be able to control it. You'll look at me and go, I'll be able to control it. And I'll tell you no, you won't. If you want to love better, I'm just telling you, that's, that's an option for you. Some of you know who Lolo Jones is. You ever heard of her? She's an Olympic, Olympic track and field athlete from the Summer Olympics. She also did the bobsled. Beautiful woman. She made national news because she's a virgin. She did an interview with HBO Real Sports, Brian Gubb. I wanted to read you a portion of what she said. Because I think it's very real because we can sit up here and talk about loving better and we can talk about purity and we can explain that, 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 that love is magnified by purity, but she says it great. She says this. She said, it's just something, a gift that I want to give to my husband. She's talking about her virginity. But please understand, this journey has been hard. If there are virgins out there, I just want to let them know the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Listen, harder than training for the Olympics. Harder than graduating from college has been to stay a virgin before marriage. And she said, I've been tempted. I've had guys tell me, they're like, hey, you know, if you have sex, it'll help you run faster. And she said, if you marry me, then yeah. Harder than training for the Olympics. Harder than graduating from college. It's difficult. But it's worth it. Because love is magnified. It's made great. By purity. Man, I want to say something to you. If you've you've messed up, man, if you walk out of here feeling shamed, that's the devil. Shut his mouth. What you need to hear tonight is that Jesus, and you'll find this out next week, is the great Redeemer. And Jesus wants to take your past story And he would look you in the eyes if he was here face to face. He'd say, your past doesn't have to dictate your future. You can step into purity. There might be consequences. There might be consequences from decisions you make. But you can start experiencing purity if you start walking with Jesus.